0: Peter chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19. So to start, I'll go ahead and uh, read this if you want to follow along. Once again, it's the book of First Peter chapter 4, and the verses are 12 through 19. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Father God, we come before you now, and we just pray that you'll be with us this morning. We pray that your Spirit will teach us what it is that we are to learn. Let us learn this in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls, oh Lord. Be with us this morning. Amen. There's an uh, insert in the bulletin here, which is an outline of what we're going to be going through this morning. And as we go through this outline, we're going to look at someone who suffered a great deal for Christ, someone who was persecuted for Christ, a guy named John Hooper. Uh, John Hooper lived, he was born in 1495, and he died in 1555. He lived during the reign of uh, Queen Mary. During this time, there was a great persecution against the Protestant church. And from 1555 to 1558, so those four years, 288 people were burned at the stake because of their faith. That's an average of one every five days for four years straight. One every five days. Among these people were 55 women and four children who would not go against Jesus Christ and what he stood for. So John Hooper was one of the first ones. John Hooper was burned at the stake February 9th of 1555. Here are his own words of why he was martyred. And maybe I lost track. What I was going to say was, maybe I said this already, (laughs) so I apologize. But we're going to look at his life. We're going to look at little pieces as we go through this outline. So if you want to follow along on the outline, all these little pieces, these things that we are to do as we go through suffering and persecution, we're going to look at John Hooper's life and see how he applied these things to his life. So um, his own words of why he was martyred. He says, when I was appointed here to be their pastor, I preached unto them the true and the sincere doctrine, and that out of the Word of God. Because I will not account the same to be heresy and untruth, this kind of death is prepared for me. John Hooper had been arrested a year and a half before this, and he had been put into prison. And you can imagine what a prison was like in the 1500s. It was a very dark, cold place, and because of you got Real sick, and when he came out of the prison, he walked with a limp because of something, something that had happened during those, that year and a half that he was in there. He had a wife and his children, and he'd write them letters, but they would never deliver the letters, so his wife and his children never heard from him during the time that he was in prison. He was kept in a cell uh, alone. During that time, he had a year and a half to recant. He had a year and a half, and he had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. After opportunity to save his own life, but he refused to step down from what he believed in. And he was persecuted, and he was burned at the stake because of that. The day that he, or actually one person, tried to get him to recant, and he said to him, he said, life is sweet and death is bitter. And John Hooper said to him, eternal life is more sweet, and eternal death is more bitter. On the day that he died, 7,000 people were there to see him burn at the stake. He was marched from the prison to, uh, he was in front of a cathedral, he was marched there. He was not allowed to say anything, but he just watched. And as he marched on, he met people's eyes and then he looked to heaven after that. The people that he knew, he... um, He gave him a cheerful look, and he gave him a smile. Some of the people afterwards said it was the most cheerful and ruddy countenance that they had ever seen him have, ever, on the day that he was marching there. He was given another chance to recant that morning, that time, but he didn't. They were going to put irons around his neck and around his waist and around his feet, but he told them, you don't need to do that. He said, for God himself will give me strength sufficient abide the extremity of the fire without the bands. They did put one on his waist, but they didn't put him on the other places. So he's brought up there, he's put on there, and they start the fire. But the wood was green, and there wasn't much kindling, so the fire started and started burning, but it was just a low fire, and then it went out. So they started the fire the second time. And the fire was stronger this time. And he said this. He said, O oh Jesus, the Son of David, have mercy upon me and receive my soul. But the fire wasn't strong enough. And the fire went out again. It had, it had burned half of him, but then it had gone out. So they had to start the fire a third time. He said, For God's love, people, let me have more fire. And they started it the third time. This time the fire was strong enough. And his last words were, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He was in the fire for 45 minutes. At not one time did he beg to be released. Not one time did he ever turn his back on God and deny him to try to save his life. John Fox in his book on martyrs says this. He says, even as a lamb, he patiently abode the extremity thereof, neither moving forwards, backwards, nor to any side. He died as quietly as a child in his bed, and he now reigns as a blessed martyr in the joys of heaven. He uh, prepared for the faithful in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. How does someone endure suffering like that? How does someone go through persecution like that? And how can we follow his example? How can we... Do the same thing. Because this is an unbelievable thing. I'm convinced that part of the reason he did this was the passage we're looking at today, 1 Peter chapter 4. See, he wasn't surprised when he met the fiery trial. And he considered himself blessed to suffer for Christ. In the day where we live, in the country where we live, in the place where we live, most likely we won't face persecution like that. Most likely we won't be martyrs. But we will have some persecution and we will have some suffering for being Christians. So we want to suffer like John Hooper did and we want to suffer like Jesus Christ did. We don't want to suffer like the world does. What the world tries to do is try to avoid all suffering. They try to avoid it at all costs. And what they try to do is if they can't avoid it for themselves, they try to avoid it for other people so that others don't have to go through the same thing that they went through. But God doesn't want that for us. God doesn't want us to be free from suffering. God wants us to glorify him through suffering and to glorify him during the suffering. It is a radically different mindset than what the world has. Verse 14 says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. John Hooper believed this verse, and he lived his life because of that. So we're going to look today at that, at that suffering. 1 Peter talks a lot about different types of suffering, and we've looked at general suffering. But today it's specifically about persecution and suffering for Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look and see that we are to expect suffering, that we are to rejoice in suffering, and then we're going to look at some examples at the end, some specifics of what he says. Number one, the first thing that we do when we encounter any type of suffering or any type of persecution is we need to examine our lives and ourselves first. Verse 15 says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If the reason that we're suffering is a behavior, then it's just. And we deserve exactly what we're getting. Chapter 2 said this way. He said, For what credit is it when you sin and you are beaten for it if you endure? But if when you are good and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So look at your suffering and see what it's for. If it's because in a moment of anger you told your boss off and you get disciplined, that's not suffering for Christ, that's suffering for an uncontrolled anger. If you got caught lying or you got caught cheating, that's not suffering for Christ. That's suffering for lying and cheating. So you gotta look at yourself. Also, are you suffering just because you're plain obnoxious? <laughs> I've known people who I've known people who were completely obnoxious and were a Christian. And they thought that the world was after them unjustly. But it wasn't. They were insulted and you know, and all that for a reason. And those people, you want to take a video camera, just tape it and say, okay, look, watch the tape, okay? <laughs> this is why. It's got nothing to do with God. It's got nothing to do with you being a Christian. This is just your own personality. So the first thing he does is tells us is to examine it. Um, John Hooper examined his Hisself to see if this was sin. As he was marching down, he's marching down and he's not allowed to say anything. And he is allowed to stop and to pray. And I believe that at that time they probably wanted him to get scared and to recant. So they gave him a half an hour to pray. And he gathered six or seven people around him. These six or seven people prayed with him. And the guard tells one boy to go up and make sure. He says, make sure he's only praying, because if he does anything else, I'll kill him right now. And so we have these people standing around John Hooper as he's praying. And listen to part of his prayer. We have an overhead for for this one. This is part of his prayer. He says, well knowest thou, Lord, wherefore I am come hither to suffer, and why the wicked do persecute this, thy poor servant? not for my sins and transgressions committed against thee, but because I will not allow their wicked doings to the contaminating of thy blood and to the denial of thy truth. So we need to examine ourselves. After we've examined ourselves and we look at this suffering, and actually this is to prepare us for this suffering, one of the things that we need to do to prepare for suffering is we need to realize that this is not something strange and this is not something unusual. Verse 12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, if we're to glorify God during trials, during suffering, and during persecution, we need to be ready for them. We need to be prepared for them. We need to know that this is not unusual And this is common. This is the way that God has designed it. What happens if you aren't prepared for it? What happens if you don't think that this is common and you don't think that this is normal? What happens is it takes you on a path. And this path takes you away from God. It takes you away from people. And the end of the path is a path that that leads to um, accusing God and ultimately hating God. It leads you to say these questions like this. Why me? What did I ever do? Why did God allow this to happen to me? I thought God was a loving God. If He's a loving God, he would have never allowed this to happen to me. What is the reason for it? Why did it happen to me? If we can't find the answers to these questions, then we become discontent. We can't let it go. We can't get over it. It eats at us. It fills our mind constantly, and it leads us to resenting God. Now don't misunderstand, there is a healthy way to look for the reasons. And we are called to look for the reasons. And we should look for the reasons why God is doing this. And oftentimes we will be able to find the answers, but sometimes we won't. And sometimes it will be years and it will be decades before we ever get the answer. And if we spend years or decades resenting God... What happens inside? What happens inside after all those things? John Bunyan, the author of A Pilgrim's Progress, was in prison for 12 years long. And he could have gotten out of prison any day if he would have just agreed not to preach. But when he came up, he said, if you release me today, I will preach tomorrow. So they left him in prison for 12 years. It was during that 12 years that he wrote the book A Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress was written... I don't know the exact date, sometime the mid-1600s. So it's been over 350 years, close to 400 years in print, and it has impacted millions and millions and millions of people. John Bunyan never knew why he spent 12 years in prison, at least as far as seeing 300 or 400 years of outcome of his book. But God saw it, and God knew it. And so these things, we might not ever know why they happened to us. One of the reasons it might be is so that we can help other people go through the things that we go through, that we can be a support, that we can be as a body. Um, And it might be that reason why we're going through these things. So one of the ways that we can tell if we're asking these things healthily or if we're asking them negatively is to ask some questions. Number one, we already talked, is this caused by my sin? But other questions are, what is God trying to teach me? What does God want me to do with this? so that I can help other people? Can I have peace without an answer? Or if I have to wait years for it? And then ask yourself, are you so distracted by it that I can see nothing else but my own problems? Am I ignoring God? Am I ignoring all those people around us? See, going through suffering, we should be able to love God, and we should be able to love His people. John Hooper was prepared for the trials, and for the suffering, and for the persecution, and he was even prepared for death. He lived in Switzerland for some time, and when things were getting real heated in England, he decided that he needed to go back, and that he needed to support his brothers and his sisters in the Lord. So all of his friends gather around, and there's one last tearful time when they're leaving. And they ask him to write. They say, keep us informed. Keep writing. Keep writing. And he says, you will. We have an overhead of of what he said after this. He said this. He said, the last news of all, Master Bollinger, I shall not be able to write. For there where I shall take the most pains, there shall you hear of me burnt to ashes. There shall be the last news which I shall not be able to write to you, but you shall hear it of me. See, he was in Switzerland, and he could have stayed there. He was out of the danger, and he could have stayed there. But he was prepared for the trials, and he went back to do what God had called him to do. He went back to England to fight the good fight. Next, it is God's will for you to suffer, and it is designed to test and to refine your faith. You must realize that these trials are from God. Verse 19 says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Verse 12 says, beloved, do not be surprised that the fire that comes upon you to test you. It's to test you. It's to refine your faith. It's to make your faith like gold. After the trials, or during trials and suffering, we will be able to see what our faith is really like. We will be able to see what is true faith and what isn't. See, you go to church every Sunday, and you can never miss a care group. But is this faith? You might be able to say the right things, and you might know what the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism, but is this faith? You might know John 3.16 and the four spiritual laws, but is this faith? It is necessary, but it's not faith. Faith is the faith that's in God. And when you go through these trials, when you go through these sufferings, you will see what is faith. You will see what is faith. That's how the faith is, is refined. It's then when you can say, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. It is then when you can find no answer that you can say, I don't know what the reason for this is, but God is sovereign and I trust him. And I know that what I'm going through, he will bring me through and he will see me through to the other side. We have an overhead for this one too. John Hooper was in prison. And three weeks before he dies, he writes a letter to his friends. And this is just part of a letter. He says, But now is the time of trial to see whether we fear God or man. It was an easy thing to hold with Christ while the prince and the world held with him. But now the world hateth him. It is the true trial who are his. Wherefore, in the name and in the virtue, strength and power of his Holy Spirit, prepare yourselves in any case to adversity and constancy Let us not run away when it is most time to fight. Remember, none shall be crowned, but such as fight manfully. And he that endureth to the end shall be saved. John Hooper understood what these tests were for. So, not only are we to expect suffering and persecution, but the next thing he says is that we are to rejoice in the suffering. Verse 13 says, Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also be glad when His glory is revealed. See, we don't rejoice in suffering just because we're suffering. We rejoice in suffering for what God is doing in us and through us and for us. It is through the suffering that we gain the promises. It is through the suffering where our faith is refined. It is through the suffering where we give our greatest witness to God. When people see that our confidence isn't shaken, but our confidence is strengthened, it is for these promises that we rejoice in the suffering. Hebrews says this about Jesus Christ. He says, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. You see, this God, Jesus glorified God during his suffering, but it was promised that he rejoiced. In it. That's how we rejoiced in it. It was for the joy that was set before him that he was able to glorify God and he was able to rejoice during his suffering. One more overhead. Listen to the hope that John Hooper had when he sat in prison and waited to be burned at the stake. He said, I shall die by the hands of the cruel man. He is blessed that loses his life full of mortal miseries and findeth a life full of eternal joys. We rejoice because we share in Christ's suffering. We share in His glory and we look to that glory that is to come. Another reason that we rejoice in suffering is persecution is because we are blessed when we do it. We are blessed when we do Verse 14 says this, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The way that we are blessed is that the Spirit of God rests upon us, and he gives us special strength when we are suffering. Think back to Job in the Bible. He loses his wealth, he loses his children, he loses his health. And yet he still trusts in God. And what does his wife say to him? Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what his wife said to him. But God gave Job his spirit and he said, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? It was the spirit of that enabled Job to say this. It wasn't his own strength. We don't have that kind of strength. None of us here can say that in our own strength. It is the spirit of God. It is God's grace poured out upon us during those times of struggling, during those times of persecution, during those times of suffering. John Hooper is kneeling down in the courtyard before going to the stake. We do have an overhead for this one as well. He's kneeling down. He's in the courtyard. He's in front of a stake that's piled up with wood. He knows what's going to happen. 7,000 people there know what's going to happen. And he prays to God and listen to his prayer. Well seest thou, my Lord and God, what terrible pains and cruel torments be prepared for thy creature. Such as Lord, without thy strength none is able to bear or patiently to pass. But all things that are impossible with man are possible with thee. Therefore strengthen me of thy goodness, that in the fire I break not the rules of patience, or else I sage the terror of the pains as shall seem most to thy glory. God answered his prayer. God answers his prayer. God gave him the strength to make it through. And it is by God's strength that we too will make it through. 1 Peter talks about some specific ways that we bring glory to God during suffering. He really tells us three specific ways in this passage of how we do this. The first one to glorify God is by not being ashamed. By not being ashamed. That's one of the ways that we bring glory to God during these times. Verse 16 says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What is your natural reaction when you're insulted or you're ridiculed because you're a Christian? Is it to be embarrassed? Is it to be uncomfortable? Is it to be angry? See, we don't want to be singled out. We don't want to be made fun of. We don't want to be different. We want to be accepted. That's the natural desire that we have in us, is to be accepted. But whose acceptance is most important? Is it God or is it man? Jesus in the book of Matthew says this, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Peter tells us the opposite of being ashamed is to glorify God, is to acknowledge God before men. John Hooper not only wanted God's acceptance more, Then he wanted man, he wanted it more than his own life. As he's kneeling down and he's praying during those 30 minutes, they bring a box to him. And inside this box is a pardon from the queen. If he will just recant, if he'll just open the box and take the paper, he will live. But if he refuses it, he will die. He cries out. He said, away with it. He said, if you love my soul, away with it. He didn't even want the box in front of him. He wanted it completely gone. As I was going through this and I was looking at this part of not being ashamed and fearing God more than fearing man, and I was just looking at myself, I find there's one area where I do fail in. This is one area where I do struggle with. And I imagine that we all struggle with this area. I imagine that we all feel this way. And I was was reading that through, and I was thinking about who wrote this book. It was Peter that wrote this book. Remember what Peter did? Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. Three times. Jesus Christ is before Pontius Pilate. Peter tags along with him, and he's going to just kind of watch from a distance, so he goes into this courtyard. And the servant woman comes up to him, and uh, she says, he says, you also were there with the Galilean. And he denies it. He says, I don't know what you mean. And he goes out and another servant girl sees him and says to the people that are some bystanders that are around there, and they say, look, this man was, was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denies it with an oath. He says, I don't know the man. And these other bystanders later on, a little while later, says, of course you were with him because your accent betrays you. Then Peter begins to invoke a curse on himself and he begins to swear. He says, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crows. He remembers what Jesus Christ had said and he leaves the courtyard and he weeps bitterly. But Jesus forgave Peter. God forgave Peter. And he will forgive us. See, Peter's life wasn't characterized by constantly denying Christ. Peter did not not deny him in his heart. He wasn't embarrassed. But during this time he did. And during this time he was. And we see Jesus Christ forgiving Peter. And so take comfort because he will forgive you as well. The next way to glorify God is by trusting our souls to him. Our faith must be in God and not in ourselves. Verse 19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The best example and the best way that I can bring home this point is a picture of some in our own church, and that is Sue Drury, who's done in the nursery, right? right now. Sue Jury's husband, Ken, as you know, has had cancer. He's been battling it for years. Sue finds out that she has cancer. And she has to go in and have surgery and have it removed. And so I'm asking these questions. What exactly is the doctor going to do? How long is it going to take? What time is it going to start? What time is it going to be finished? And Sue Sue says, ah, I don't know. I'm not sure. (laughs) And she wasn't able to answer A single one like the technical, exacting questions that I asked her. But you know what she said? God knows, so I'm not going to worry about it. Did you hear that? God knows, so I'm not going to worry about it. That is faith. That is true faith in God. That is a faith that knows that God is sovereign that knows that God is in control. That's someone who believes that God is a faithful creator, that he is sovereign, that his will will be done. And hers is a faith that understands that and accepts it. That's what faith is. It's understanding it and it's accepting it. And that's exactly what Sue has. I don't care whether she knows the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism or if she knows how to find John 3.16 or what the four spiritual laws is. She has faith in God. And this is a faith that will last her for eternity. If the band can come up as we close, the last thing that or the last way that he says that we glorify God in trials, during sufferings, during persecution, is to keep doing good. Verse 19 says, But those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, if we just sit there and dwell on our suffering, if we just sit there and dwell on our problems, we don't do any good to others around us. Or to God. We have to get outside of ourselves. And we have to do the things that God has given us. God has given you things to do, special works to do that He created for you before the foundation of the world. These are things that only you can do. And a lot of times these things are a direct result of the suffering that you have gone through. The way we suffer, if we continue to do good and to continue to reach out is such a powerful witness to those people around us. That's the way where people say, I don't know what he has or what she has, but that's what I want. That's what I want to be able to do. And it's such an encouragement to the believers around here because it wants them to strengthen their faith and they want to be like that and they want to have more faith. John Hooper, just before the fire started, The guy who was assigned to start the fire came up to John Hooper and asked him if he would forgive him. Listen to what John Hooper replies. He says, You have done nothing to offend me. God, forgive these your sins and do your office. He was forgiving this guy at the last moment. He said, You don't do anything that offends me, this is your job. Do your job. It's what you're supposed to do. And then he asked God to forgive his sins for him. When we look at doing good and we look at the example that we're supposed to follow, we look at Jesus Christ on the cross. We look at him during his time of suffering. We look at Jesus Christ and we see him take care of his mother. He says, Woman, behold your son. And he says to John, Behold your mother. We look at him on the cross, dying as he prays for those who are killing him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We look to Christ as he saves the sinner next to him. Today you will be with me in paradise. When Christ died, what did the centurion said? Surely this man was the son of God. One last overhead. J.C. Ryan, when he's looking back at John Hooper's life, said this to us. He said, As long as the world lasts, he will be a pattern of what Christ can do in his people in the hour of need. Never may we forget that he who strengthened Hooper never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the same God who... Enable John Hooper to do this will enable us to do what he has called us to do as well. See, we don't want to suffer as the world does, only seeking to avoid suffering for either ourselves or for other people. But we want to suffer like Christ did, who glorified God during his suffering. Most of us never will suffer as a martyr. But we want this. We want to be willing to be insulted so that we may be blessed. We want to be willing to suffer so that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. Father God, we come before you and we look at you, Jesus Christ, and your suffering on the cross. And we look at Your servant John Hooper and the suffering that he went through. And we look at ourselves and the suffering that we have gone through or the suffering that we will go through. And we just pray that we can be like You, Jesus. I pray that You will help us to not be surprised when the trials come. I pray that You will Give us a faith that is strong, that can rejoice when struggles and suffering and persecution come. One like You, O Jesus, who can suffer for the joy that is set before us. That is why we can suffer. We want to do these things, Lord. And we know that Your Spirit will be strongest upon us when we are the weakest and when we are in the most need. We don't experience Your Spirit as strong as this all the time. We only experience Your Spirit during these times of intense struggle. Lord, let us be prepared for them. In Your name we pray.